Hi, this is Rhea from Let's Talk Reform. In today's episode, Antoinette and I sit down with Angelo Pinto, a lawyer, organizer, activist, and freedom fighter with nearly two decades of social justice work under his belt. Angelo Pinto works to transform the criminal justice system, confront abuses of power, including police brutality, and to reform the school-to-prison pipeline. Join us as we talk about how the work chose him and how he began the Raise the Age campaign in New York, building it from the ground up. Join us as we talk about how his personal experiences and where he grew up actually led him to the kind of work that he's pursuing and how he's led other people down this path as well. Hello? Hello. Hey, nice to see you. How's it going? Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Like, we know that you are super, super busy and like constantly on the go. So we definitely appreciate you just taking time to speak with us today. Most definitely, most definitely. Feel free to just introduce yourself and just kind of tell us a little bit about who you are. Definitely, so Angelo Pinto, um, I'm an attorney by trade or often refer to myself as a movement lawyer. I'm an organizer, an activist, a freedom fighter. And I've been doing social justice related work for probably close to two decades or so. Um, a lot of my work is around criminal justice system, transforming the criminal justice system and confronting like abuses in the police field, as well as like the school to prison pipeline. So yes, yeah, a little bit about me. Awesome. So in your opinion, do you mind explaining what is the school to prison pipeline? For me, when I think about the school to the prison pipeline, it's a phenomenon where young people are pushed out of school as a result of school policies, usually around suspensions and expulsions, which have really been on the rise as a result of zero tolerance policies. And those young people are pushed into the street and being in the community without supports, without programs, they usually have police encounters. And in many cities, as a result of police practices, which usually target teenagers, um, and then they end up in the criminal justice system. So the school to prison pipeline is short as young people being pushed out of schools because of policies, zero tolerance policies, and who end up in the criminal justice system in some capacity. Now, I often say to folks after having done the work for some time that for me, the school to prison pipeline is a little bit of a misnomer um, because young people are saying now, and I think a lot of research is showing that many schools are in fact already jailed. When you look at the number of police officers in schools, metal detectors, as I mentioned, suspensions and expulsions, and kind of this very punitive strategy to engage in young people, the school environment, the educational environment is becoming less and less conducive to really just a great education. And in many ways, it's feeling like a jail. In many ways, it's feeling like a prison. So I've heard young people say school is jail, school is prison. So I think we're in a place too where the ideas around what the school to prison pipeline are also shifting and transforming as well. So can you tell us a little bit about your early experiences that led you to develop an interest in the school to prison pipeline or the complex phenomenon that it is now? I think for me, learning about the criminal justice system and saying, and mass incarceration and saying that these are, you know, the, in some instances, the biggest human rights issues of our time. 
And for me, I always try to look at the root cause of an issue um, as opposed to kind of addressing symptoms. I'm always like, what's the root cause of this? How do you get to this and disrupt it and really end this thing? And for me, when I think about mass incarceration, you see folks who spend large amounts of their lives cycling in and out of the system. And for me, those are often folks who have encounters with police and the criminal justice system at a young age, right? So people who have, you know, an encounter with the system at a young age spend a lot of their life moving in and out of the system. So for me, I realized that one of the ways to really confront mass incarceration is to take a closer look at what's happening with young people who encounter the criminal justice system. And, you know, the young people who encounter the criminal justice system are usually in school or have been pushed out of school. So understanding the school to prison pipeline and the relationship between schools, education, school push out and the criminal justice system for me is an intricate kind of component, an intricate place of understanding how young people spend their lives being incarcerated. So I think if you can disrupt that, if you can understand that phenomenon, you can have an impact on mass incarceration. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's definitely a very valid approach to what is in fact a multifaceted problem. So my question is, how did your early and educational experiences lead you to the kind of work that you're doing now? Hmm. How did they? I think for me, in many, when I think about, and I, w I didn't realize this at the time, but when I think back on my experience in high school and even in college, a lot of my friends experienced a lot of suspensions and expulsions. Even my, I think about my older brother, he was suspended. He was kicked out of multiple schools. Um, and as a result, as a, as a teenager, he had encounters with the criminal justice system. And, you know, being a teenager, even being younger than him while all that was happening, I didn't understand what the phenom phenomenon was, you know? You're just saying, oh, this person got suspended, they got expelled, they got kicked out of school. The same is with my friends, but as I learned that the criminal justice system and mass incarceration and the prison industrial complex where actual things that had an impact on communities and that people were researching and people were trying to confront, the more I realized that the experience of some of my peers and even my brother and family members were as a result or were directly impacted by mass incarceration, were directly impacted by, um, you know, things like the school to prison pipeline. So for me, I think in some ways, I was talking about this the other day, the work chose me to a degree. Uh, based on my past experiences, things I've, I've seen, things I've experienced, things I'm aware of. And, you know, I think the more and more I realized that connection, the more and more doing the work the way I do it made sense. Right. And in terms of like, just one of your advice in helping to mitigate mass incarceration, how does this relate to some of the work that you did with Race and Age? So, you know, interestingly enough, you know, I was hired by an organization to kind of create the Raise the Age campaign. And it was an organization that was not familiar with campaigning. They primarily do prison visiting. So they visit prisons and report on conditions and try to change laws to make conditions better. So I was running, you know, charged with 
building a campaign from the ground up. There wasn't a campaign in New York State at the time. In my first week working on the campaign, I was reading stories of teenagers who were prosecuted as adults around the country just to really learn more and familiarize myself with the issue. And I remember reading stories of young people saying, you know, they were in there with adults, they were targeted. And I realized that my brother was prosecuted as an adult in New York State. I realized that the phenomenon they were describing was the same phenomenon he described to me about being in there with older people. And it occurred to me in that moment, like, oh, wow, my brother was prosecuted as an adult in New York State and housed in an adult jail. And up until that point, even having gone through law school, I hadn't realized that it hadn't occurred to me. And it made me think about how many people who are experiencing this and don't really know why, don't really know exactly what, don't know how to respond to it. But for me, it made me really realize and it kind of hit home in a, in a very real and direct way, the importance of shifting and changing a law that not only transforms the trajectory of a person's life, but really impacts their family and the community in a way that you really can't undo. Like once someone enters the criminal justice system, particularly at you know such a young age and one of their formative years when they're really developing their identity, who they'll become, what they'll do with their life, it sends them on a very different trajectory more times than not. So, you know, for me, I I was I cared about the issue before I knew that, but when when I realized that that my brother had been prosecuted as an adult, it really changed things, not only in wanting to pursue the law to be transformed, you know, with more energy, but also really now going back and trying to understand my brother's experience because it was something that I knew, but it wasn't something that we talked about at length. You know, I think in many ways, I didn't even take it as serious as I should have until I found out and started to really realize what the experience was. And then I went back and was like, you know, you know, talk to me about this, which of course was very hard for him because for many folks, I think, you know, it's re-traumatizing to talk about, you know, that experience. So if you feel comfortable, would you be able to share a little bit about what he told you regarding his experience? No pressure, of course. I mean, what he told me, and you know, when I tried to talk to him about it, when I was working the campaign, he really didn't share much. Um, he didn't want to talk about it. But I remember as a teenager, him sharing that, like, you know, he was in there with older, older guys. And I think for me, it didn't really occur to me what that meant, you know, because he was a teenager. I don't even know if I was even processing or understood all the nuances between, you know, who goes to what kind of facility. But that was the one thing that he mentioned. Um, and that, you know, it was just a distinctly different experience. People knew he was younger, right? And also, you know, he was wearing an orange, he had on an orange jumpsuit. Like those were the things that he shared. Um, and he didn't share much else other than that. So ultimately, like what were some of the impacts that your organization had or the campaign had? So we actually ended the law. We, we ended the automatic prosecution of 16 and 17 year olds as adults. So we raised the age of criminal responsibility 
and it's touted now as one of the most progressive criminal justice reforms in New York State since the Rockefeller drug laws and the most expansive criminal justice reform in the state for young people. Um, 16 and 17 year olds are no longer allowed to be housed in adult jails and prisons in New York State. There are still some instances where 16 and 17 year olds can be prosecuted as adults, but that exists around the state, around the country actually. Um, so it was a huge victory for me towards the end of the campaign and even after the campaign, I often said raising the age of criminal responsibility was really just the tip of the iceberg. Um, there's so much more that need, it's a huge victory, but there's so much more that needs to be done to transform the criminal justice system. So in some ways, the huge victory, you know, is tempered by the reality that there's so much more work to do. Um, and that's kind of my position on it. You know, I'm, I'm thankful to have been able to run a campaign and actually win because oftentimes, you know, people run legislative campaigns for a long time and sometimes the laws that they want to change never happen. So to be a part of and to create a legislative campaign that actually, you know, we were able to win and, and transform the criminal justice landscape was a huge victory and, you know, something I'll never forget. I learned a tremendous amount about legislation and policy and you know how the system really works but when i think about mass incarceration and where we are as a, a country tremendous amount of work still yet to be done i agree there's a tremendous amount of work to be done but i still think it's amazing what you and the team at raise the age accomplished for new york state for so many children who otherwise would have been impacted by those harsh sentencing laws and i'm curious how long did it take you to achieve that? And what kind of work went into that? It took about around four years, you know, actually a little under four years, and which is extremely fast. You know, when I hear stories about and what I know from folks who work on legislative campaigns and trying to move policy it was very, very, very fast. I mean, one of the things I'll say is that when I first learned about the issue and folks were saying, you know, you should, you know, try to get this job. I heard about it, I was like, you know, this really is a being processed adults and held in adult jails and prisons. Who would agree, who would think that that should be the way it is? Like who would disagree with that? Um, so the things that went into the campaign, there were like really four major pillars it was like this media communications component. There was a community organizing component. There was a coalition and networking component because it was a statewide campaign. So we had to have partners across the state. And there was a legislative engagement component where, you know, we were building relationships with elected officials to say, listen, this is a legislation you need to champion and you need to vote for, as well as, you know, working with the governor to get him to realize that this was an important issue that he should give up. That makes a lot of sense. So what advice would you give to younger advocates who are looking to break into the field and make similar contributions? Hmm. I would say, you know, be bold and also study the game, like learn what has worked, what's happened, what's the most important issues. And then, you know, just get out there. I think for me, there was no, the greatest thing for me when I was building a campaign was just getting out there and doing it. 
you know, I learned so much from meeting with people, you know, trying to have conversations with elected officials and really beginning to figure out how do you move an issue along? What are the levers of power? And I think it's important to understand the landscape and learn all you can. But at some point, you just got to get out there. And you'd be surprised how much you can do and how much you can shift and transform when you put yourself out there and you start to pull other people into understanding the importance of your issue. I think people really sleep on that. Like oftentimes, oh, this will never change. This will never change. And what I learned was if you put the energy towards it, you could change quite a bit. Um, so that's what I would suggest, you know, learn, become aware of the landscape and how you run a campaign and then just get out there and hit the ground running. That definitely is very inspiring as well, just because, especially with all the work that you're doing with the protests and organizing a lot of different community events, how do you think some of the lessons that you learned earlier in your career really translate and help you become very passionate about the work that you're currently doing with Until Freedom? Yeah, I think one of the big things is like fearlessness, like realizing you know, you just got to get out there and confront the issues and confront the people in positions of power. If you're unwilling to do that, they're not going to budge. Things won't change. Um, and I think the other piece is being able to realize that change needs to happen and change is possible. And there are a variety of strategies and there are a variety of ways in which you can go about creating change. You need to have a strategy. <laughs> you need to bring in other people. So for me, it really just taught me that, one, you could win, right? This is not impossible work. But you have to be very clear about how you're going to do it. And you have to realize you're going to meet a lot of resistance and opposition. But that resistance and opposition cannot stifle you, right? It actually has to make you more persistent. When you get the resistance, when you get the opposition, it should just inform you and inform your strategy around how to move and how to pivot. Um, and then you just have to attack again. And I think for me, given kind of the, the current climate around social justice and like these national or these uprisings across the country, for me, the environment was an environment I'm very familiar with. In many ways, you know, it feels like home <laughs> for me. And it's a very comfortable environment. To, to be in the spirit, to be in the environment of pursuing justice and standing alongside folks who care about pursuing justice. So I've certainly been prepared. And I think the other important piece is being around and with like-minded folks who also feel like this is their purpose, this is their passion, this is their gift. That's very powerful insight for sure. And just as young adults who are going to be listening to this podcast, what would you recommend as some like resources that they can use to really inform themselves on like finding out more about mass incarceration and just some of the social justice issues that we're currently facing? Yeah. Um, hmm. I would say there's a few books that I like a lot um, around the issue. When I think about justice books and under for me when i was working on the race to age campaign there was a book i read called all god's children and it was a book that really explained how new york became a state that was prosecuting 
not just 16 and 17 year olds as adults, but 13, 14 and 15 year olds as adults for certain crimes, right? And it talks about a culture of violence. So it, it looked at an issue, it looked at a, a criminal justice related policy issue and said, how did we get here, right? And how do we also change the tide? It was just tremendously informative. Um, there's a great book by Angela Davis called Our Prisons Obsolete that really talk about mass incarceration. Of course, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. I think there are a lot of books out there that can help someone understand mass incarceration in the prison and industrial complex. Um, and, you know, there are books about folks who are kind of also great leaders on the forefront of kind of confronting injustice. Um, Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy, is one of my favorite books around, you know, looking at a person who's an advocate, who's dedicated their life to doing the work. And although it's tremendously challenging, who, who's had some success and had some wins. So, you know, I would say the books are the ways in which kind of I inform myself, um, but you can find, you know, excerpts of most of that stuff online too. Yeah, we actually read Just Mercy before um, we began college. So that was our summer reading requirement at Duke University before we started my freshman year. And it was amazing. He actually came to speak to us as well about all of his different um, legal victories, but also a lot of the setbacks that really pushed him to get to where he was. And I was wondering along those lines, what kind of work do you do as a lawyer and how does your perspective from all of these resources and from all of the experiences that you've had inform your work as a lawyer? So, you know, I've done work with officers. So one of, some of my work is with officers. There's a group of officers called the NYPD 12, um, which is a group of officers who actually are suing the NYPD for the illegal use of the quota system. Um, and they realize or they expose that the NYPD is not only using a quota system, which is illegal, they're also targeting six, you know, teenage black and brown boys. So what we were able to do was of, of course assist with that lawsuit and pressuring the NYPD to change. And while oftentimes some of the lawsuits don't reap the legal kind of consequences and results that we want. One of the things that they often do is kind of open the door to place pressure on, you know, a place like the NYPD. And as a result of the lawsuit, the NYPD, although, you know, they kind of have been fighting with a lot of intensity to prevent the lawsuit from moving forward, they have changed a lot of their policies um, because they fear and they know now that there's eyes on the inside watching and there's eyes on the inside that will expose them. So, you know, that's a little bit of, of some of the work I've done um, in the very kind of traditionally legal capacity. And just kind of like out of curiosity, a lot of the times we hear about like, we want justice and these are some of the things that we're working towards, but in your opinion, what are we exactly fighting for in this day and age in terms hmm. Justice and what does justice mean to you? I think justice for what justice means to me is a world where, you know, people are literally treated equally. You know, I think that's the simplest way to put it. It sounds, you know, very basic, <laughs> but for me, that's what it is. It's, you know, when I think about, you know, someone like Breonna Taylor, 
I was saying, you know, justice is just Breonna Taylor being able to live the life she wants to live, you know? And for me, justice is really honoring people equally, regardless of their differences. I think in this moment, what we're fighting for on some level is justice. Um, and I think on another level, it's really confronting all of the things that create injustice. Um, and I think some of those things are, you know, systems that believe that certain people should be treated differently. I think some of it is individuals who have ill or evil intentions in positions of power. And I also think some of it is systems that are designed to oppress folks. And, you know, in this moment, we're kind of forced with, well, not forced with, but we're seeing many things come to the forefront. I think that's also a part of justice when things reveal themselves or people force something to be revealed and say, hold on, wait, this can't, you know, be in the shadows anymore. This can't be behind the curtain. Let's see what's really going on. Let's expose the corruption. Let's say that this system just doesn't work as it was intended to. So we can't use it. So for me, a big part of justice is exposure, right? It's, it's really being able to say and to show that this isn't working how it's supposed to. This is devastating lives and that this shouldn't be how this happens. And, you know, I think for some folks, it's actually just freedom, right? It's like for freedom from injustice um, so that people can live full and vibrant lives. And in this moment, one of the things that's very fascinating to me is that I think we're also thinking about and reimagining all of those things. It's like, what actually is justice? You know, in a world of so much injustice, what is freedom in a world where so many people are not free and so many people are caged, you know, in the United States? So I think we're also reimagining all those ideals and trying to develop healthier relationships with one another, although we may disagree on certain things. So I think, you know, there's an author um, and a scholar who's deceased now, who I love her work, and she had a book called The Next American Revolution. And, and, and she talked about that, the next American revolution not being a violent revolution, but really being a revolution of ideals, a revolution of society, a revolution of ourselves and our relationship to all the systems. And for me, that's what this moment really is. It's like the next American revolution. Thank you so much for all of the insights and experiences that you shared. It was really awesome to hear your perspective on all of these things because you've literally been doing grassroots work at the intersection of so many of these different issues. So it's amazing to hear how you've kind of grown in your advocacy and how you're challenging other people to grow as well. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing and thank you so much for taking the time to share it with us as well. Well, I appreciate all the compliments. And if either of you need anything from me, or, you know, just let me know and I'll help where I can. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Let's Talk Reform. May we all move forward from this and carry out Angelo Pinto's advice. Be bold, study the game, and then get out there and do the work. 
It's important that we all learn to deal with the resistance that we may encounter in our lives and to keep pushing forward with the work that we think is important. So thank you, Angelo, for all of your lessons and to all you aspiring activists out there, keep pushing forward. You've been listening to Let's Talk Reform. Join us next week when we sit down with Jess Linick from the Lionheart Foundation. We'll see you then.